Pray with me. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scripture is read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. This morning, we are wrapping up our six-week sermon series about Paul's letter to the Philippians titled, Joy Anyway. What Katie and I have discovered is that joy does not stand alone. It coexists with a multitude of emotions and experiences. So today, we will explore joy's relationship to hope, especially the kind of hope that comes from witnessing God's redemptive work in the world. Our passage is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, now that at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I'm referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed, and of going hungry, of having plenty, and of being in need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. So here at last, in the final portion of this letter, Paul gets around to thanking the good people of Philippi for their financial support of his ministry. Thanks for sending it when you could, he said. I didn't really need it. I know how to live with what I've got. Do not use this part of the letter as a model for writing a thank you letter to your grandmother when she sends you cash when your college bank account is down to $18. She's not going to react well to, it finally got here. Could have gotten by without it, but thanks anyway. So before we throw Emily Post's etiquette book at Paul, let's remember that his primary purpose is in penning this note is likely to encourage the Philippians who have these internal disagreements and who find it hard to follow Jesus in the context of the Roman Empire. Paul promises them that joy will come from living a Christ-shaped life, even when it doesn't bring you popularity, even when it doesn't bring you prosperity, even when it might land you in prison. Paul once had a steady income as a tent maker, Yet in prison, with very little, we can assume he seems to have found the secret to being content with what he has. Now, anyone who's ever taken a child shopping in Target knows how difficult contentment is. Every aisle is filled with temptation. I want these cookies. Look at this cute t-shirt. Can I have this toy? How about just a pack of gum, Mom, please? And adults. We're tempted too, especially in the Magnolia Isle where Chip and Joanna try to convince us that fall will be so much better with a harvest plaid throw. As a parent, I tried to model contentment rooted in gratitude for God's gift for my children. I learned to say on repeat, we have all the things we need. We have enough money for some of the things we want, and we have the ability to help others who may not have enough. My husband Brian and I intentionally used spending money as a learning opportunity. Every year, the amount we gave the girls increased along with their responsibility for purchasing necessities and wants. 
It started with a couple dollars for treat money or treats at Target, but by the end of high school, they were managing the entirety of their clothing and entertainment budgets. The practice absolutely reduced the number of times I was asked for just $5, Mom, but it also increased their independence, and it instilled a lot of contentment in me, and I hope that it did for them as well. This Labor Day weekend, we are reminded that providing for the necessities of life requires living wages and safe working conditions that often arise out of an organized effort. Monday, August 18th, was the anniversary of the 1963 March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. Now, Bayard Rustin was the deputy director of this march, and it was his Quaker faith that inspired his lifelong pursuit of civil rights. As a college student, he protested the low-quality food at the Wilberforce University cafeteria. That cost him his scholarship. But in recognition of his tireless activism, Rustin was posthumously awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom Award and inducted into the U.S. Department of Labor's Hall of Honor. The U.S. Department of Labor writes about Rustin, saying he remains unequaled in his effectiveness as a labor, civil rights, and human rights leader. An openly gay man in a cruel era, Rustin's determination to achieve social justice and equal opportunity was matched only by his personal courage. The lives of countless workers are better today because of Rustin's activism. And it was his organizing skills that brought a quarter of a million people to D.C. to hear Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech, which still rings with hope for us today. The leaders of last week's anniversary event called it a continuation, not a commemoration, stressing that the American dream of equality and God's dream of justice for all, those are still works in progress. One of you said to me recently, TV news makes me sad. I agree. It is easy to be filled with despair when you hear the endless list of intractable problems. But there are research-based practices for nurturing the hope necessary to live faithfully in a troubled world. According to the Science of Happiness podcast, commemoration is one of the keys to continuation, continuing the good work. It's a two-step process, this practice of hope. First, write about something important that you hope for. The poet on this podcast wrote about climate change, how he hopes for the ice to return and for native flora and fauna to flourish and for there to be protected places and for people and nations to make the change needed. And the second step to nurturing hope is to remember something that you weren't sure would happen, but did. The poet wrote about the fear he felt learning as a child about the ozone hole, and then the surprise learning later as an adult that the hole has been shrinking since the year 2000, in part because humans have done things to shrink the hole. He reflected on the environmentally aware actions that he himself took that may have been part of the solution. So this two-step process of nurturing hope was developed by a psychologist, Dr. Charlotte Van Oyen Whitfleet. For her, hope is the place between, between helpless despair and naive optimism that leads us to passivity and inaction. 
Continuing to work for a positive change requires remembering previous outcomes in the past. Hope requires prior evidence that the story can turn out okay. So Paul's evidence that things can be okay comes from his encounter with the risen Christ on, in a blinding light on the road to Damascus. He transformed, he is transformed, from a fierce opponent on the hunt for Christians to jail into someone who many consider to be the second most important person in Christianity, second only to Jesus, of course. Paul goes on to found at least 14 churches and writes a minimum of 25% of the New Testament. Paul has contentment and hope because his life is evidence that in the face of the impossible, God is possibility itself, to use one of Katie's favorite nicknames for God. Paul wants to share this hope with the church at Philippi. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ shows that God never gives up on humanity. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul says. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Friends, this 2,000-year-old story is the ground of our faith, the evidence that strengthens us and the source of our hope. It is, likely, God's word for us today. But maybe, just maybe, a few more recent examples that good things can happen out of uncertainty would be helpful. Author, and, author Catherine May is on a search for just such good things called hierophanies or everyday manifestations of the divine in this anxious age where she says many of us feel discombobulated, confused, disoriented, maybe just out of sorts. She finds depth of meaning as she forest bathes. She makes her own interpretation of this Stonehenge-like art sculpture that she finds in a meadow, and she experiences transcendence even though a supermoon thwarts her attempt to see meteor showers in a dark sky. She writes about enchantment and the need to remake our stories until we find the one that fits. God, she says, has always been a name whispered between us. Hope. Hope is whispered in the 22 years since the tragedy of 9-11. I will never forget, I was holding my three-month-old baby when I watched the towers fall on live television. I felt immediately consumed with despair and fearing for what my life and my children's life might be. Slowly, gradually though, good things did come despite the tragedy. First words, Countless family dinners, new friends, overnight trips and concerts, church, community, graduations, and this September, the last first day of college for that baby. Every night, my photo app reminds me of joyful memories from 3 and 12 and 20 years ago, and I cannot help but be grateful for each one of these impossible possibilities. Young adults from Generation Z, born in the late 1990s and the early 2000s, face unprecedented challenges that have fueled a mental health crisis. One Forbes columnist writes, this is a generation whose coming of era of age in an era of mass shootings, a global pandemic, and turbocharged political turmoil. These things will take their toll on young people. They will take their toll on all of us. 
But, she argues, Gen Z is not hopeless. She lists half a dozen young people who are having an impact, like Indonesian sisters Malati and Isabel Wisjen, who at 10 and 12 founded a nonprofit that keeps mountains of plastic bags and single-use plastic out of the rivers and oceans of Bali. Where does Gen Z find their hope? I was curious, and so I asked a young person, and she shared with me that her evidence that good things can happen out of uncertainty comes out of the COVID-19 pandemic, which surprised me a little bit. She remembered that fear at the beginning that the, pandem that the pandemic would not have an end, but she also knows that three years later, COVID isn't gone, but there are tests and there are treatments, there is immunity, and we are returning to our normal lives that we may not have thought were possible. And we are doing that because everyday people came together to meet the challenges. Or what about the miracle of monarchs? You know this is my favorite butterfly. The Western population winters in California's central coast. Their population was down to just a couple thousand after the 2020 wildfires. And this year, at the New Year's count, they are up over 200,000. And the Eastern monarchs, which migrate from Illinois to Illinois from Mexico, they are still threatened by pesticides and deforestation in their overwintering sites, but more and more people are planting milkweed, the host plant where monarchs will lay their eggs. And my hope for these monarchs comes from learning that the farmer who rents my father's estate continues to follow my dad's instruction to raise the mower blade when he comes across a stand of roadside milkweed. Friends, faith is living in the kind of hope that holds the potential to change the world. As Dr. King put it 60 years ago, with this faith, we will be able to hew a mountain, out of the mountain of despair, a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, and to stand up for freedom together. Hope is joy anyway. Hope is foregoing the plastic bag, lifting the mower blade, planting the acorn, knowing you will never sit in the oak's shade. Hope is caring for this church building with confidence that in two and three and five and ten years from now, we will baptize babies who are not yet a dream in our beloved font. Hope is made up of a million impossible possibilities and countless small and courageous acts. Hope is a dream we continue to dream. Hope is the whispered tale of God making a way out of none. Hope is this table Christ prepares for us. For Paul and for us, may rejoice in the Lord be our eternal and hopeful refrain. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.